quickly to the scripture. I'm reading this morning in the book of Numbers. I'm reading in chapter 21. And I'm going to read verse 9. It says, And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. And I just want to talk about a brass snake on a pole. And uh, I want to say that the, the Israelite people became angry uh, with God and with Moses. Uh, and they spoke out. It, it's uh, part of human nature. If we don't have a real guard over our spirit, uh, when we get mad, a lot of folk say things they shouldn't say. Once we put a little, uh, little phrase out on our marquee in front of the church, uh, the tongue is in a wet place. It's easy to slip. And sometimes we, we, uh, we vent our anger more quickly than we should. And the Israelite people evidently were as human as we are, and they were angry. It was an interesting thing. I, I noticed a number of times in the journey that the Israelites took from Egypt, the land of bondage, and into the wilderness on the way to the promised land. And uh, we, the Bible says that they went to a place called Mara. The water there was bitter, and, and uh, so they had to do something to make the water. They had cut down a tree, threw it in. The Lord healed the waters. Then they went to a place where there was no water, and they uh, complained to the Lord at that place. And, of course, the Lord... Uh, had Moses strike a rock and water came out of the rock. There are just numerous times that water was an issue. In this chapter, the Bible says that they, uh, I, I'm going to read a little bit, verse 4 of Numbers 21, and they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. And the people spake against God and against Moses. And they were asked this question, Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth, loatheth this light bread. They've already been eating manna for enough days that they're tired of it. And because of this, their anger uh, against God and their unappreciative attitude for what God had provided. He's giving them bread every morning. God brings some judgment. The next verse said, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, <coughs> and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now, I was... Last night I was trying to look up some pictures of serpents. Uh, I know that we have a dog outside, and I know when the dog just keeps barking and barking and barking it, in the same place, it's either he's he's uh, communicating with some dog down the road or there's something that he's worried about. And, and sure enough, when I went outside, there was a snake and... Um, I know that you, you know that's the ones with the broad heads and all that that you're supposed to be afraid of, and and if they've got little baby rattlers at the end of their tail, you're, you're supposed to be afraid of them. Uh, it's probably common to a whole lot of us that we're afraid of any snakes, um, but there was a snake. It was close to the house, and the dog was just just barking and barking and barking. The snake was would call and and sometime a, a strikeout. It wasn't, wasn't the biggest snake. It wasn't the smallest snake. It was. I did go out and try to measure it a little bit later, of a four-foot snake. And uh, it. I felt pretty safe that it wasn't going to bite anybody. Uh, I, but I, I, I did know that my dog was probably going to bark all night long, so I did shoot the snake just in the story. Uh, one clean shot through the head. I just want you to know that in the dark. Uh, rest assured, 
and um, it was painless for the snake. He didn't he didn't see it coming. Uh, I was saying, I wish you were out there in the woods where you could catch some mice and eat the mice before they try to come in for the next winter and all that. But the the I, I didn't think that snake was poison, and I'm pretty sure it wasn't. But uh, in this case, because of sin, God sent judgment in the form of, it says, fiery serpents. Now, uh, you interpret that however you, you want. I, my feeling is that their bite was a burning bite, of, and, and it was poison, and of course people were dying. And then the Bible says, therefore, the people came to Moses and said, we have sinned for we've spoken against the Lord and against thee. pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten when he looketh upon it shall live. So Moses obeyed, and Moses made a serpent of brass and put it up on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when, the, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. Now, uh, as, like I mentioned, the Israelite people sinned against God because in their anger they spoke against him. And their action brought judgment and the judgment of course was death and the cure for that was a reminder of their sin I'm going to say that when Moses was told to make a serpent of brass and lift it up on a pole uh, it, there there was some symbolism in this the you know the people who had been judged had to look up to what was the symbol of their uh, punishment and and the symbol of the the thing that was result of their sin. I want to say that brass brass is a biblical symbol. Brass is a symbol of judgment in the Bible. Uh, I want to say that when the Lord told Moses to build a tabernacle in the wilderness, you'll find it. 25th chapter of the book of Exodus verse 8 it says that the Lord said build me a sanctuary that I may dwell among my people then he starts giving instructions interesting thing the Lord starts with the very interior focused piece of furniture and gave instruction working his way out now when it's built and when it's approached our, our information is from the outside working its way back in. But the very, uh, the, the metals and, and the colors and things that were used, the materials used in this tabernacle, all were symbolic. Uh, the, the inner things were made of gold. The, the Ark of the Covenant was wood, which was a symbol of hu humanity, overlaid with gold that was a symbol of deity. The mercy seat had no humanity, no wood in it. It was solid gold because nobody can, no human can, can comprehend or become part of the depth of the mercy of God. I've said this a lot of time in this church. Uh, we have dimensions for all of these things in the ark we call the the tabernacle in the wilderness. We have the dimension of the Ark of the Covenant, uh, the golden uh, altar of incense, the table of shoe bread, candles. We have dimensions for these things. We have dimensions for the walls and the height of the walls and, and the width of the rooms, the dimensions for the courtyard and the curtains around. But we have no dimension for the depth. Now, we, we know the, side, the dimensions of the sides of the mercy seat. But nobody knows how deep that lid, that cover of gold was. And to me, that indicates something else, that we will never know the depth of the mercy of God. You see, the mercy seat covered inside that Ark of the Covenant, uh, was it was a chest, it was open, it was hollow, and it had the Ten Commandments written on tables of stone. 
commandments that were commandments of judgment, really. They were commands that if they were broken, it brought death. And yet it was covered by gold of the mercy of God. Now, there were golden cherubims that uh, were on the top of the mercy seat and they looked inward to the place of Oh, and, and the center of the mercy seat, they, they did, the, the cherubims didn't look at each other. They looked at that spot over the mercy seat where the voice of God would speak out to the high priest. The voice of God spoke to Moses. And then as the high priest through the generations that followed went in to minister once a year, they went behind the veil and went into the place where the Ark of the Covenant was. And they went very carefully. They went uh, burning incense. They came bringing to blood to sprinkle on the mercy seat. They came to make atonement. And um, so the gold, the gold was uh, the most valuable. It was the most precious symbol of deity, symbol of God himself. In fact, uh, the veil that separates the holy place, this, the holy places where the table of shoe bread golden altar of incense and the golden candlestick are and there's a veil that separates that from the next room and there's nothing in that room except the ark of the covenant with the tables of stone inside with the with the cherubims overstretched and so holding up that veil are four pillars and these pillars also are made of gold and they are set in sockets of silver because you see silver is going to be the next the next color the next uh, material the next metal precious metal it's not as precious as gold but this um, the uh, let me mention this also the boards that make this building they're boards that are cubit and a half wide a cubit uh, we we average a cubit out. I do about 18 inches. Actually, it's the distance from the elbow to the tip of a finger, and that's that would depend on who set the standard for that cubit. They would make a cubit, and that would be the measuring stick for the entirety of that building project. And, and so every board is one and a half cubits, and it's wood, but every board is overlaid with gold so that when the wall is constructed, a wall that's 45 feet long by 15 feet wide, 15 feet high, and it's only a three-sided wall of gold boards because there's a curtain one-third of the way from the back to the front and then a curtain at the very end of the building. This curtain at the front is, uh, is called the door. Uh, the curtain in the middle of the, you know, inside is called the veil. Uh, that, so those four pillars are made of gold set in sockets of silver. The five pillars that are in the door are, they are, they are also made of gold, but they are set in sockets of brass. Now outside in the courtyard, there's a courtyard that's 150 feet long by 75 feet wide and it encompasses and, and then there there's an opening there's an opening that's called there's a curtain there but it's called a gate now the the walls around this uh, courtyard are seven and a half feet high and these walls are held up with posts that are made of brass set in sockets of brass, but on the top, the chapters, the hooks are made of silver and there are bars that attach from one post to the other that are also made of silver. They're holding up curtains that are made of linen. Linen is a symbol of righteousness. You'll find that in the book of the Revelation, group of people who are clothed in white linen, which the Bible says is the righteousness of saints. But this symbol is that we... It's, it's too high, seven and a half feet high, which tells us for ourselves that's the righteousness of God. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We, uh, we, we, we can't climb over that. 
we can't climb over his righteousness. You have to come in and come through the door. And Jesus, of course, says he's the door. He's the, he, he's, he's the door. If you enter up any other way, you're a thief and a robber. So here, here are these metals that are precious. And um, the, uh, the brass, though, is judgment because outside that beautiful place, that building of gold with furniture of gold and curtains that I haven't really described yet, in the courtyard outside that tabernacle building is an alt, a, a laver. It's a place filled with water. It's made of brass. And then there is an altar with the stench of burning blood and flesh, with the smell of death, and it is made of brass. Because the brazen altar is where sin is judged. Brass is judgment. Brass is a symbol of judgment. And, and into, this, into this place, uh, a man would come bringing a sacrifice for the, his sins and the sins of his family. And that sacrifice is going to be a substitution because all of us, the Bible said the wages of sin is death. We all would die in our sin if there was not a substitute for us. And so the man would bring his substitute. He would actually, he would approach, he would approach from the outside to the brazen altar and would stand to the right side of the altar, would bring his sacrifice. The priest would come and, and look at this man, and the man would say, we want to bring a sacrifice for my sins. And the priest would say, lay your hand on the head of the sacrifice. So he'd lay his right hand on the head of that sacrifice. And by substitution, uh, symbolically, his sin would be transferred off him onto the animal. And the animal would have to die because of sin. And so... All of this is symbolism. The, um, the I, I mentioned, let me go back to the silver a minute because I wanted to point out a fact. I'm in Exodus chapter 30, verse 11. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, when you take the sum of the children of Israel, and the reason I want to read this is because this fact is important. When you take the sum of the children of Israel after their number, then shall they give every man a ransom for his soul unto the Lord when thou numbers them, and there be no plague among them when thou numbers them. This they shall give every one that passeth among them that are numbered half a shekel after the shekel of the sanctuary. And uh, since you're familiar with this, I know a shekel is 20 geras. Now you know. And um, a half shekel shall be the offering of the Lord. Everyone that passeth among them that are numbered from 20 years old and above shall give an offering unto the Lord. The rich shall not give more. The poor shall not give less than half a shekel when they give an offering unto the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. And thou shalt, make, and thou shalt take the atonement money of the children of Israel and shall appoint it for the service of the tabernacle of the congregation that it may be a memorial unto the children of Israel before the Lord to make an atonement for your souls. Now what happened was, by the time you get to Exodus chapter 38, it mentions some of that. The silver of them that were numbered of the congregation was a hundred talents and a thousand seven hundred and three score and fifteen shekels. Hundred talents, a talents, hundred pounds. Now uh, like under those boards, those boards that made the wall, there were there were two talents of silver under each board. Two hundred pounds of silver, a base that will hold that board in place. Of course, those boards are in place, and there are five bars that run down uh, to to help hold it together. And so, but the silver of them that were numbered was. 100 talents and 1,703 score 15 shekels. Now, of the 100 talents of silver were cast the sockets of the sanctuary and the sockets of the veil. So these four pillars and 
under all the boards of the wall. It's upheld by the silver of atonement. And it holds up the very righteousness of God himself. And of the hundred talents of silver were cast the sock. I said all, all of that. I said, were the sockets of the sanctuary and sockets of the veil. Uh, now, a thousand seven hundred seventy and five shekels, he made hooks for the pillars and overlaid their chapters and filleted them. That's the hooks on around the courtyard the seven and a half foot high wall that nobody can climb over. The righteousness, the linen which is righteousness that's hanging on poles of judgment is held in place by the silver of atonement. So, I mentioned about brass being judgment. Uh, the, um, I mentioned the man who would bring the sacrifice to the altar of brass and sin is going to demand that blood is shed there. That's why Hebrews 9.22 says, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. And so the man transfers his sin to this innocent, sinless animal. And the innocent, sinless animal dies so that the man who is a sinner can go home and say, we have another year Let's try to live the best we can for God this year. Let's try not to fail Him. Family, let's, let's, try, let's try our best. I'm just going to say, though, if you don't have the Holy Ghost, if you don't have the Spirit of God inside to help you, humanity is going to fail. Humanity is going to sin because we're born in sin. We're shaped in iniquity. There has to be something else. There's got to be somebody that moves on the inside and puts... A, a no no vacancy sign on the door of our lives. So I'm going to say that the that man that man really who brought the animal couldn't go any further past that brazen altar. But the priest that accepted that sacrifice watched the man transfer his sins to that animal. The priest would cut the throat of that animal catch blood in a basin. He would burn the body of the animal. He would sprinkle blood on the fire. And he would go then to the brazen laver. And he would take bloody hands and dip them in the water of that brazen laver and wash. And the blood would mingle with the water of the brazen laver. And I'm just going to throw something in here right now. If you haven't been there and studied it before, this is a sim this symbolic of New Testament salvation because the apostle Peter stood on the day of Pentecost with all the other apostles as witnesses. And when folks said, what do we need to do? They were said, tell us how to be saved. Peter said, repent. That's dying at an altar. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. That's washing and what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Revelation 1 verse 5 says he washed us from our sins in his own blood. So the blood, the judgment that was going to judge uh, that sin that brought death and it's going to cement that covenant with the washing of water. That's brass. And that brass laver was made from the looking glasses of the women, highly polished brass that they could look and make sure their hair was fixed right. Now the Bible tells me that water baptism in the New Testament is not cleansing for the filthiness of the flesh, but it's an answer of a good conscience before God. You see, some people came to John the Baptist and said, we'd like to get baptized. He said, you generation of vipers, you better go prove that you repented first. Don't, don't come up here wanting to get baptized and you hadn't repented of your sins yet. You see, that's, that's a qualification today. If you want to get baptized, you better repent of your sins first because it's against the law to bury somebody that's not dead. And so this brass was on the outside. There's today repentance, water baptism in Jesus' name. But if you do that and get a chance to go in to the holy place where the presence of God is, that's where we're filled with the Holy Ghost. That's Christ in us. That's, 
That's where we're in him. He's in us. That's where if you'd step into the holy place, there's that brazen, I'm sorry, there's that golden altar of incense where you take the incense of your praise. Our praise goes up before the Lord as a sweet savor. That's when we come, the Bible says, we enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. That's the sacrifice we bring. We sing it sometimes. We bring sacrifice of praise into the house of the Lord. So we bring our praise to the golden altar and the incense begins to burn the praise. We pray, oh God, let the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart be acceptable in thy sight. And so the praise begins to go up. And then we light. The, you see, the candle's not going to go out. But that golden candlestick, that's pure deity because there's no wood in that candlestick. It's a talent of gold and it's beaten. It wasn't poured into a mold. It was beaten into shape. It's a golden candlestick that has seven burning places, which seven is, the, is God's number of perfection. And the olive oil is pure beaten olive oil. Olive oil is one of the symbols of the Spirit of God. It's a symbol of the Holy Ghost. And so that olive oil is there and it's burning. And the flame, the light is also a symbol of the presence of God. He, The Bible said in 1 Timothy 6 verse 17 uh, that he dwell in a light which no man can approach unto whom no man has seen or can't see. I'm sorry, chapter 6 and verse 16. And, and so... That, that light that's the presence of God shines across over onto a table of shoe bread. And there are loaves of bread that are placed there and they're replaced every week. And that bread for us is the Word of God. And sometimes people don't understand the Word of God. Some people are confused. They start reading the Scripture. They get so puzzled. Oh, this don't make any sense to me. In the Bible, there was a man... Uh, an Ethiopian, he was a eunuch, he was a member of the Candace, uh, the queen, her court. He had gone to Jerusalem, he was coming back, he was reading from a scroll. And, and um, you know, Philip had been in a great revival in Samaria. And uh, he just came trotting along beside, he said, what are you reading? The man said, man, I'm not sure I understand this. And Philip said, well, here, let me, let me just jump in the car with you. I'm going to explain it to you. And you see, a lot of times people don't understand some things they read in the Bible. But if you get the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of the Lord will lead and guide you into all truth. It'll, it'll, open, it'll turn the light on. The Word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. So if this light starts shining over on the bread, which is the Word of God, you start understanding it a little bit better. You see, you, you go ahead, go ahead to your altar, offer your sacrifice, go to the water of baptism, get baptized in Jesus' name, but get filled with the Spirit of the Lord because that's the holy place. And I'm going to tell you now, not only can you offer praise and understand the word of the Lord and see the glory of the light shine, but now that veil is torn down and the Bible said we come boldly to the throne of His grace. Well, you can go to the mercy seat now. What a privilege. What a privilege. And so, I'm just going to say that these, uh, these things were symbols. I, there's, there's a lot of symbolism, and I don't have time to cover all, all of this, but uh, let, let me just mention this much more. That veil, that veil, the Bible said it's, blue, purple, and scarlet, and fine twine linen. And it, and it says with cherubims. This means that this veil, the linen that represented the righteousness of God Himself. And the blue, the purple, and scarlet were also symbols. Blue, the color of heaven, symbol of deity. Red, the color of blood. The scarlet, the color of blood, the symbol of humanity. Well, you know what you do when you mix the blue and red together? You get purple, which happened in Jesus Christ, who was God himself, who manifests himself in the flesh. And the purple is the purple of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And so this veil, but this veil also had cherubims. Because since the Garden of Eden, God put an angel with a flaming sword and said, you can't come to the tree of life now. You're going to have to have judgment. 
And so God taught Adam and Eve about sacrifices and killed animals so that they could have clothes of skins. But now, you see, it happened at the crucifixion when Jesus was crucified, when he gave up the ghost, when he said it's finished. The Bible said the veil that was in the temple was rent in twenty. It was torn into two pieces, torn from the top to the bottom. It's God Himself said, "No angel's gonna stand in your way now." I'm gonna welcome you to the mercy seat. This is why the Bible says, "Now we come boldly. We don't have to be afraid." And so, you said, "Well, Pastor, you've been taking a long time talking about this." I'm going to read from John chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. It said, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. So Jesus was going to be lifted up for all to see. The pole that He's going to be attached to is a cross. And he is the symbol of judgment. He's the symbol of judgment against sin. His dying body is the atoning price. It's the, it's the price that's going to pay for sin. So here he is the symbol of judgment against sin. And yet he is also the symbol of the atonement of silver. First, Second Corinthians five twenty one says, "For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him." That's that innocent lamb that the man brings to the brazen altar, and the priest said, uh, "Yeah, I know. I mean, I know you're a sinner. Put your hand on the head of that sacrifice." you see the first time Jesus appeared somebody shouted out and said behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world they said that by revelation and so he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin he didn't have any so he put our sins on him that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Peter wrote this, first Peter chapter one, verse 18 says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. I'm just going to say that, remember that half shekel called the shekel of the sanctuary was for redemption. At redemption, uh, you see, atonement really means reconciliation. It means joining something. Back. It means paying a debt, getting it out of the way and, and, and bringing back into favor again. And Peter said, we know we weren't redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. In verse 21, he wrote this, Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not, but committed himself to him that judged righteously. Notice this. Who his own self bare our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sins should live under righteousness. And he goes and adds something beyond sin. By whose stripes you were healed. I'm going to say there was more blood shed than just the shed blood on the cross. 
there was blood shed at a whipping post. And this Bible tells me that that blood was for my healing. Some of you suffered some serious sickness. It's very possible that even today there's something that's got you so worried that uh, you're not able to sleep at night. There are things in your body that are are so terrifying to you, you you don't know if you're going to live or die. I just want to tell you this. I want to make a promise to you that the debt for your healing has been paid. Years years ago, we, we had a car wreck at my family. Uh, my father died in that wreck. Man and his wife in the other car died. And um, everybody was crippled up pretty bad. Um, I had a lot of hospital bills. And there wasn't any way I could pay them. My insurance wasn't enough to pay. And so there were doctor's offices and I would send in $10 a month until finally I would just get a notice that said your debt's paid. I want to tell us that we could never afford the price to pay our sin debt. But somebody paid it for us. Sometimes we used to sing a song I'm redeemed by love divine. Glory, glory, Christ is mine. All to him I now resign. I have been, I have been redeemed. And so I'm going to just say this. As in Moses' day, the dying person had to look to the serpent on the pole if they were going to live. Hebrews 11.6 says, Without faith it's impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Some people are so casual in their approach to God. A fellow told me, he said, Oh, you know, I just think, you know, I'm of this opinion, you know. uh, I don't remember all of his little poem, but, you know, treat your neighbor, treat your neighbor well. God's not going to send your soul to hell. I want you to know salvation is a whole lot more important than that. You seek Him diligently. You're supposed to study the Scripture. You, you, you need that light to shine over on those loaves of bread. The Bible said study the Scripture to show yourself approved unto God. Rightly divide this Word. And so you diligently seek Him. Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7 says, Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake his way. If you're you're diligently trying to find him, you can't do it riding the same horse. you you got to get off and change your transportation, change your destination. you got to have a different... you got to forsake some stuff. The Bible didn't say that the Lord came to save us in our sins. He came to save us from our sins. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he'll have mercy on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Matthew 6, 33 says this, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. What is righteousness? Righteousness is what is right. Seek what's right. You, You won't find it away from God or His Word. You've got to seek His righteousness. And Luke 11, verse 9, tells me this is about seeking diligently to find Him. I said, do you ask and it shall be given? Seek and you shall find. Knock, it shall be opened to you. That's just not somebody sitting on the street saying, hey, um, if he wants to tell me something, he'll just come tell me. No, it means you've got to find a place. Get on your knees somewhere. Tell God, I am sick and tired of being sick and tired. I am sorry to be a sinner. I don't know how to fix it, but I heard a preacher say, if I'd call on you, if I'd call on the name of the Lord, I could be saved. So here I am. I, I'm calling on you. Open my heart. Open my understanding. I'm turning around right now. I'm, I'm going to turn around. I'm going to have to have your strength and help the power to walk the right direction, but I'm, I'm going to turn from my wicked ways. Jesus gave a parable illustrated in Luke 15, 8. He said, either what woman having ten pieces of silver, you say, well, man, that's not much. 
That's a dollar in dimes. Used to be at least silver. And uh, But for this woman, that was really more important than that because if her husband decided to divorce her, he could just say to her, he was three times, he would say, I divorce you, I divorce you, I divorce you. And she had to leave with nothing except what she was wearing. So she had these 10 coins probably tied to her body somewhere. They might have been tied around her ankle or something. And the string breaks the the little leather uh, fastener breaks and coins roll out across the room. And she hurries and picks them up and counts and there's nine. And the Bible says, if she lose one piece, does not light a candle and sweep the house and seek diligently till she find it. She's going to get some lights on. She's going to sweep under the bed. She's going she's to dig down in the corners. She's going to search. I'm going to tell you what, if you're going to seek the Lord diligently, you, you're not going to be haphazard about it. You're going to say, God, it's everything or nothing. It's live or die. It's heaven or hell. I understand in your word there's only two places to go. I'm just telling you, there's no halfway house. There's, there's, there's no, there's no, you know, I saw a little sign one time said, stop the world, I want to get off. Uh, it's like, I didn't ask for this, God. I don't want to go to either place, you know. I don't want your cheese. I don't want the trap. I don't want any. If we don't have that option. We're going to go one place or the other. And the Bible says there's a broad way that leads to destruction. There's straight and narrow way. You, could, you better seek diligently if you want to walk the way of the Lord. So I'm going to tell you, you're going to find Jesus at an altar of repentance and in the water of baptism in Jesus' name and in the joy of being filled with the Holy Ghost. Now, I'm, I'm concluding. I want to pray a prayer over you in just a minute. Some folk have asked recently, they said, well, you know, Pastor, is this coronavirus, is that judgment, is that like the fiery serpents? And uh, that's up to God to answer that. Right. I don't. I don't. I don't know what his opinion is about this, but all I do know is that Jesus has been lifted up on a cross. And if you'll look to him, you see, if you look to him, you'll listen and do what he's saying. That's that's what calling on the Lord's all about. That's what coming to the Lord means. I want to pray for you in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, today I have tried my limited best to somehow convey to somebody what what the symbol of judgment was you displayed you 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 used your own body as the as your symbol of judgment against sin you hung in shame and reproach on a cross your word says you despised the shame but you did it for somebody that's listening right now, you did it. I have a feeling that there's somebody you, you're in, in somebody's home or in somebody's car. Uh, you know, we're, we're all trying to hear your word and, and uh, follow, but there's somebody that you're so close that you put your hand on their heart and they feel, they feel the very presence of God saying, look, this wasn't just for anybody. This is for you. This is my voice. I'm speaking through the flesh of a preacher right now, but it's my voice speaking to you, telling you that you're worth it to me. You're worth it. You were worth it for me to go to Calvary. And you're still worth it no matter how deep in sin you are, no matter how much doubt, so much, how much uh, guilt and accusation you feel. You were worth it to me. And the same way my word says I paid for your healing back there, I paid for your salvation. 
And so I pray, Lord Jesus, for that person you're talking to right now. Let them find a place. They, there might not be anybody to pray with them right now, but that doesn't matter. Let them find an altar and say, God, forgive me. Forgive every sin. Forgive every thought. Forgive every sinful act. Forgive every, everything in my life that was contrary to you. And I, I pour out my soul. I'm going to find a preacher that will baptize me in your name, Jesus. I want you to fill me with the Holy Ghost. I want to speak with other tongues like the people in the Bible did when you fill them with your spirit. I, I want to be a new creature in you. I want all things to pass away. I want there to be a graveyard for my old dead sinful life. And I want to be made brand new in you. I want that to happen in Jesus' name. Lord Jesus, do that for them. While they repent, your word says you're faithful and just to forgive. You're anxious to fill somebody with your spirit today. And I thank you, Lord. I worship you, Jesus, in your name. I am the Lord of the Almighty God. I am the one for whom nothing is too hard. I am the shepherd, I am the door, I am the good news to the bound and the poor, I am, I am. Oh!
of the Lord be on you. Love Him with all of your heart. If you love Him with all your heart, if you obey Him, someday you'll see Him face to face. And yet He will have scars. He'll have scars in His hand. Wounds probably from thorns in His brow. But He'll be looking for you. And He'll say, well done, good and faithful servant. Welcome home. May the blessings of the Lord be on you. Appreciate it, man. Y'all did an awesome job, too, man. Awesome job.